Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What is up, guys? Welcome to the Reborn Podcast. Today, I have a returning guest, a good friend of mine, Dr. Lyon. Now, Gabrielle is the founder of the Institute of the Muscle-Centric Medicine, a healthcare practice that provides solutions for weight loss, longevity, and it focuses primarily on these three principles that we're going to cover today, nutrition, lifestyle, and exercise. You can learn more about Dr. Lyon by visiting her website, drgabriellelyon.com, or following her on Instagram at Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, and her last name is spelled L-Y-O-N, Gabrielle Lyon. Let's bring her on the Reborn podcast. Girl, it is so good to see you again. How's everything going? Everything is great. It's really great to see you, catch up, hang out for an hour, love it. So I wanted to bring you back on because um, the, the listeners got so much out of our last podcast. Now, If you guys want to go back, I recommend go back and listen to our podcast that we had before. I believe that would be season, I'm in season four now. It would have been in season three. Um, And we can also share that with you guys when this uh, podcast posts. So you can go back and listen to our original conversation. Um, This was during my first bodybuilding show that I was getting ready for. Um, And we talked a lot about um, your muscle centric focus and and, but just so much stuff and like how like the, the body, the human body moves and works and like the muscle and everything that, that you're about is just so fascinating. And it's really a, a different approach, um, to just kind of like your outlook on things. And so I really want to just kind of dive in, uh, to kind of like where we left off, which was, you were just getting ready to start your podcast. Yeah. And here yeah, we so- are now. How's everything going with that? The podcast is great. You know, the podcast is ranking in the top 10 of all medicine in the country. That's amazing. What is the name of it? So it's, uh, this is going to be a real stretch, the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon show. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Original. by the way, I really wanted to name it something else, but I, I made it that so that people could find it. Right. So it's super easy, right? You can't miss it. Sure, sure. Anyway. Um, and then what, what, and your podcast, what do people, what do people learn on the podcast? Who all, like, what type of guests do you have? Well, I'm hoping that you will come on. It is, there's, there's two really kind of two frameworks. Well, number one, the overarching theme is transparent conversations, right? Well, what is actually talked about and then what is the truth behind the science, Mm -hmm. but also, so there's the one aspect in terms of transparent conversations that cuts through the noise as it relates to nutrition, health, wellness, training. You know, we have a lot of kind of coaches come on. And then the other aspect is mindset. 
what does it take to be the best version of an individual? And we bring on individuals that are constantly forging that iron within sure. themselves. Sure. Yeah. Um, what has been like your favorite thing about doing the podcast and bringing people on? Like, is it giving you a new outlook? Like, are, I'm sure you, I feel like I learn stuff all the time when I have new guests on my, my podcast, but how has this like not only benefit your audience, but like benefit you as, as you have continued to evolve and, and, and your craft and what you do? What a great question. Well, number one, I love learning. Sure. And this allows me to learn things and speak to experts that are outside of my wheelhouse. And number two, one of the most valuable currencies, I believe, are relationships. Mm. And you know that you and I are friends and uh, it allows me to interface and spend time with people. Mm -hmm. And and that is really mm -hmm. critical. Mm -hmm. So like with everything that you have going on right now, what is the, what is the newest thing that you've mm -hmm. that you have done? I know that you were writing this program. You and I talked about this, this program. Book. Yeah, book. it was a book. Is a book it... coming out. Yes. What is the book? What is the name of this book? Forever Strong. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that. So this book is called Forever Strong. And it's this concept of muscle-centric medicine, which you had mentioned before. And muscle-centric medicine is the idea that skeletal muscle is the pinnacle of health. Mm -hmm. That everything else is a periphery. This talk about that we have an obesity epidemic, all these other things. I don't really believe that we have a disease of obesity. Mm -hmm. I think that we have disease of skeletal muscle first and that people are not prioritizing training and understanding that skeletal muscle is an organ system. Mm -hmm. So this book, much like the title Forever Strong, is this concept that you can build physical and mental resiliency and what are the tools that you need to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a mix between nutritional sciences, uh, medicine, and also, you know, I've been seeing patients for over a decade, makes me old, but... Uh, <laughs> What, what do I see over and over again that really allows people to take full responsibility to bring their capacity to the highest level? Yeah. So, so your book coming out forever strong, um, what all, what's inside the book and like, like what can readers get from that and where can they get the book? Yeah. So the book is, so actually it's on presale now. Okay. They can go to Amazon. If they can get it, they can go to my website and they will know exactly where the nutrition field is, how it got there, mm -hmm. right? Because everybody's confused. They're going to know exactly what to eat, why they're doing it, how to begin training, and how they need to begin to think about things. Mm -hmm. Like, what's up here? Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about, I really want to talk about this whole, like, muscle-centric medicine mindset that you have um, going on. Now, I think a lot of confusion, because I've learned so much through this process of body bodybuilding. Um, nutrition, in my opinion, is very overcomplicated. Like we like to overcomplicate something that can be like super simple. You know, for me, basically every meal that I have, I have a carbohydrate, I have a fat and I have a protein and I keep it extremely basic. Can you talk about, um, I guess for like, you know, especially women, let's just talk on the topics of women, because I know that women, one of, one of the, the things that they lack a lot of is, is protein. Can we talk about that a little bit? Maybe some statistics um, and kind of like your yeah. philosophy on, on and yeah. how much protein women should be getting. So the average female gets about 68 to 70 grams of protein a day. Wow. That's you crazy. That's like that nothing. Number, right? That's, yeah. like, that's like a meal and a half. Yes. Now, for women over the age of 65, roughly 40% of them aren't even meeting the baseline requirements for dietary protein. Wow. Okay. Um, 
So number one, if a woman is eating 70 grams of protein, that's nothing a day. That's insane. And the women that are older aren't even meeting 50%, aren't even meeting the baseline requirements to prevent deficiencies. Why do okay. you, why do you think that is? Yeah. Do, do you, do you I, think it's just because like education people don't know? Do you think it's, it's a food type choice that like the generation generations are choosing? Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's twofold. Number one, we have been taught that protein is not good for us. So outside of the athletic community, mm -hmm. the rest of the population is told that they should cut back on dietary protein, that it's not good for them. And it's a narrative that uh, really the unintended consequences of that kind of narrative is just crushing health, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of misinformation. And then the next question is, you have to think who stands to benefit from a bunch of misinformation? Yeah. Well, the people who stand to benefit from a bunch of misinformation are those individuals that have money to be made in processed foods. Sure. Yeah. Right. And then the second part is, um, I oftentimes women are kind of encouraged to eat a salad or not yeah. sit down and order the the steak at dinner, mm -hmm, right? Like mm -hmm. just eat a salad and, and cut back your, your total protein, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Well, tell me, let's talk about a little bit of the different sources of protein because I'm sure they, you know, the, they do different things to the body, right? Let's just break it down super simple. So like the, the proteins that women get from following like a vegan diet, a vegetarian diet, are those the same types of proteins? We're talking about a strictly like a, an animal source type protein. Is this what yeah. you're talking about specifically? Let's yeah. talk about that a little bit. Like the difference between, um, and there was a time, like a phase that I, I was like really into pea proteins. And um, there was like another one that I was like really into. But I just, I want to kind of talk about that. Not even necessarily protein powders, um, but just like the different types of protein. And, and what's bet like what has been scientifically proven to be the best uh, for the human body? Yeah. Basically, there are obviously there are two types of proteins. There are animal proteins and there are plant proteins. And when we think about the quality of protein, obviously the quality of protein, I say obviously, but really animal-based proteins are considered higher quality. This is not a emotional discussion. This is simply based on the amino acid content. What are amino acids? Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. There are essential amino acids and there are non-essential amino acids. The essential amino acids mean we have to eat it. Mm -hmm. So for example, if we eat a steak, we're getting the nine essential amino acids that our body cannot make. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how we determine the quality of protein. And animal-based products have higher amounts of these per calorie essential amino acids, whereas plant proteins are considered low quality. They have a fiber matrix. They're not as bioavailable. And the amino acid content is lower mm -hmm. for these essential amino acids. So I, I think that that's really important to understand that uh, it's interesting because protein alone seems to be the most controversial macronutrient. People get very emotional about it. Nobody gets emotional about carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets mm -hmm. emotional about fat. But when it comes to dietary protein, it's like this whole thing. And perhaps it's because that it's sourced from animal products. Maybe uh, I'm assuming that that's why. But there are core fundamental differences, again, which with the qualities of the proteins. So um, that being said, can someone get enough protein being vegan? Yes, you totally can. But one must understand that the amount of carbohydrates someone is going to consume 
might be 30 to 45% more mm-hmm. uh, total, even total calories, mm-hmm. unless they are doing kind of powders or other kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think is the, um... well, I totally had to, hold on a second. Um, hold on. I had a really good question. Oh, okay. Um, sorry, editors. What do you think is, is the benefit from, cause now we're talking about like, let's just talk about animal protein in general. Is there, is there really value getting grass fed beef? Is there value in getting like, let's take, let's talk about now, like where, where the protein, the, the animal based protein is sourced. Um, do, do, does, does, is, has there been scientific proven results that like, if you get, you know, less, you know, the type of cattle that's been, you know, fed out in, in a pasture somewhere compared to just, you know, slaughter it all together. Is there a difference in, in the quality of the protein that we get there? These are such great questions, Ashley. Good. Um, the quality of the protein is not technically different, right? Mm. The amount of protein, whether it's grass fed versus conventional is not different. Now, I, I say this um, cautiously because the fat content would then, you know, if something is a fattier cut of meat, then it will have lower protein by definition because sure. it's going to have higher a higher fat content. I think that there are benefits to eating grass-fed, grass-finished, and there's a couple. Benefits. Yeah, and I say there, there's like there's so many you see so many things on it like grass-fed. You know, I don't know, like you know pasture walks now like you just there's but it so, doesn't they, have they to be the, but i also right, so don't I'm, believe that it doesn't have to be right so like that's what i'm wondering like we're like the facts like does it do we do i need to spend an extra five or ten dollars on getting like a grass-fed you know pasture walk like this cow that's been like Not. groomed every single day or does it matter so I, the majority of cattle whether they are conventional or um grass fed or whatever the whatever they are are typically raised on um, marginal land. So they're all out in pasture and then they can go, typically they then go to a feedlot for finishing, Mm -hmm. but the majority of cattle come from smaller farms and, um, yeah. And they're sold to a feedlot and then, yeah. Yeah. So it's not necessarily what people think, but again, there are bad practices with everything. Sure. There are bad practices with training. There are bad practices within beef industry, but the reality is, High quality protein, um, the majority of the time, it doesn't necessarily matter from a quality standpoint, whether it's grass fed, grass finished. If an individual can't afford the extra $10 a pound or whatever it is, you should still eat high quality protein. Sure. sure. Right? But there are regenerative aspects if um, someone is using and purchasing from a regenerative farm. These things are all very beneficial. But the other issue is we have a massive population to feed mm-hmm. yeah a lot of people and they need to eat and more protein we right <laughs> we have to be able to you know it can't just be all the good idea fairy of how we're all going to be able to get this expensive meat if, if we can we still have an entire population to feed so if somebody's listening to this and i know that we covered it in our previous podcast i think we should cover it again if if we have a you know a middle let's say i'm i'm 38 you know and, you know, and I'm listening to this, I'm like, okay, well, you know, Dr. Lyon, tell me how much protein that I need. Like, I think this is, this is one of the biggest questions that I see just, you know, yeah. coming through my DMs, people ask me on my, you know, whatever social media platforms, and they want to know they're, they're unsure based on their goals, how much protein that they should actually get. 
So let's talk about this. If 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 I come to you and I say, uh, Doctor Lyon, I want I need to gain I want to gain muscle. I want to gain muscle. We'll say I'm 135. I don't know. I want to gain put on like 10 pounds of muscle. How much protein? What is a good calculation and and uh, a good system to figure out how much protein I should be getting? I think a great place to start is one gram per pound I, uh, ideal body weight. Whether you want to go up or go down, you start there. Depending on your training, you know, typically you're going to be consuming, if you want to put on muscle, you're going to be consuming anywhere from 10 to 25% more calories. Mm -hmm. Again, it, it just depends on what your body composition is doing. You, I know you, Ashley, you're able to consume more and just crank through because of the intensity of your training. Mm -hmm. But starting with one gram per pound ideal body weight, um, you know, you measure, see how you feel. If we need to titrate it up, we titrate it up. There's no upper limit of protein that we know of mm -hmm. that is considered dangerous. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we do need to, you know, then in my mind, uh, making sure that you're one gram per pound ideal body weight. So if you are 135 and you want to be 140 pounds or whatever it is, you can go up to 140. You could probably go higher. But again, making sure that you're also recovering and getting your carbohydrates in. And then so they would base if, if they're wanting if their end body weight goal is 140, that's mm -hmm. one gram of protein per yeah. pound of body weight. So they would basically adjust their protein intake to the body weight that they want to get at. Exactly. So is this the same sort of method if somebody is wanting to lose or do we 100%. still want to keep our protein high and cut out other things? So depends. Okay. For example, if someone is 200 pounds and wants to be 150 pounds, you would eat and you know, you would eat 150 grams of protein. Mm. However, if someone is, um, say cutting, right. You went through, you know, you, uh, went through a period of time where you got very lean and you already stay really lean. Mm -hmm. The lower your total calorie intake is the higher your protein intake needs to be because you have to protect skeletal muscle and lean tissue. Mm -hmm. So there's skeletal muscle and then there's lean tissue. Lean tissue is anything other than fat. So that's liver, uh, bone, that's all the other things. Mm. That being said, shooting for one gram per pound ideal body weight as a, I, I typically don't recommend people going below that. Mm -hmm. Sure. So now what happens, I guess, you know, speaking on the reverse effect, what happens if you consume too much protein? You know, I've never that, seen it. <clears throat> you've never seen that. Like, is it, is it, is it, is it, it, does, it doesn't turn to sugar and is stored? What, hap what happens? Yeah. What happens? Okay, great, great question. Um, so from a health standpoint, we have never seen an upper limit of dietary protein. Mm. The, we don't know what that would be. So that is really important to point out that the data has never shown there is a upper limit of what we know to be toxic to the body. 300, 400, not saying that anyone needs to eat that much, but we've never seen it be considered toxic. Huh. So, so that's important. So, so what, ha what happens when you overconsume protein? Do we don't, do we don't nothing. know? Nothing. There, nothing. It's nothing. Not, huh, okay. It's, I mean, it is very difficult to store protein sure. as body fat. It is used for other things. Um, it is, it, it, there is this muscle protein synthesis effect that happens. It's very difficult. And the data would support that it's very difficult to gain weight, I'm sure that you you could, but it's very difficult to put on body fat with lean sources of dietary protein, mm -hmm. even in caloric excess. Mm -hmm. Typically, the thing that you see is you see an increase in lean mass. Increase in lean mass, again, is anything is skeletal muscle, liver, gut, everything other than 
fat tissue. I was watching. Do you ever watch Survivor? There's this show where like somebody gets dropped off on an island for like a hundred days or something. And they have naked this... and afraid. You yeah, mean? no, no. They they weren't naked. They were clothed when I was watching them. That's um, a bummer. I know, right? It wasn't as exciting. <laughs> um, but like this one chick, like she was trying, she was catching rabbit, and that was basically the only thing that she could catch. But originally, or like. At the end, that's basically what kind of pushed her out of the competition was mm. because she couldn't get enough. She couldn't get the type of proteins that she needed to basically sustain. I think it was rabbit that she was eating and there wasn't any fat on the rabbit. And so right. eventually so that's called the rabbit starvation. Yeah. So rabbit starvation. Right. Um, so it just is essential fats. Yeah. You do. Yeah. And it just goes to show that like your your body has to have those uh, to basically survive. Yes. To the yes. point where she, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't withstand anymore in the, in the climate and what she was doing because she didn't have uh, the right amounts or the right type of fats that she needed. Um, yeah. To, to and it's not her. much, it's something like four grams. So the essential fatty acids, um, it's not much, but you could not survive on only protein, which is interesting because a portion of the protein that you eat does get converted to glucose through this process called gluconeogenesis. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it definitely does, but it, it's a, a self-generated thing. It's not about mm. eating carbohydrates. It's the body's actually, you're eating protein. So for example, for a hundred grams of protein, your body will create 60 grams of glucose. Mm. I mean, again, I say it in absolutes, but it is yeah. different for everybody, but it's a good rough number. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Let let's talk a little bit about. I know before we we hit record on here, we were talking about kind of like the differences between like being an athlete and um, kind of just like the different you know body mechanics and stuff of that. And uh, can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, in terms of what we're starting to see is really pushing people to kind of the next level. Yeah. Yeah. So I I know that yeah. you know when I I train for about an hour a day, hour and a half a day. I eat right before I train, I train, and then I eat again. And then I kind of want to talk about like everything else that happens throughout the course of the day that's important. Yeah. You know, I, uh, on my podcast, I had a, uh, a former athlete on, and she is actually one of the lead scientists at Whoop, which is a tracking device. And her name is uh, Kristen Holmes. She'd be a great guest for you. Amazing. And we were talking about what makes the Olympians and what makes some of the really high level athletes so good. And what are the things that they do that's a mistake, right? What are the things that they do well? And what are the things that they do wrong? And, and what are the things that, and we also actually work on a lot of military operators together. That's, that's how we met. We were at the 777 expedition for Folds of Honor in the middle of Arizona, which I think I invited you to <laughs> jumping out of airplanes. It was like, it, it was a whole thing. Um, and one of the things that makes per, you know, when it comes to being an athlete, sure. you want to control the controllables and you want to have a state of readiness. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways in which the science and the literature would indicate for readiness is all about sleep, mm-hmm. but sleep, actually a good night's sleep starts in the morning. Okay. And it, are you ready? I'm ready. And, okay. So this is all about circadian biology. And this is the next frontier that is not addressed that will be addressed. Okay. Right now, this, you know, we all talk about the macros and the training. The next layer to this that I think is going to come out, you know, this year, maybe the next couple of years is going to be this chronobiology and the way in which we layer our environment to augment our performance. Mm. So 
What does that mean for you as an athlete? That means waking up and going to bed at the exact same time with very little room for error every day. Wow. That means a half an hour either way is probably too much. So for example, if you set your bedtime at 9.30, but you're going to bed at 10, that that actually is going to have more of a deleterious effect than actually sticking to your bedtime at 9.30. Oh. And you're like, Gabrielle, that's so annoying. Yeah. I got to go to bed. But yes. And how does this manifest? It manifests in, again, this readiness, this mm -hmm. heart rate variability, the, um, you know, which is different for everybody. But essentially, the better your heart rate variability, the better your ability to execute, mm -hmm. um, the better your recovery. So going to bed and waking up at the same time um, is really critical. And getting out and seeing light pretty close to waking. No sunglasses. You always have amazing sunglasses. Your ass needs to get outside. No sunglasses. Five, 10, 20 minutes. Like right upon waking? Yes. Oh. Not through the window. Doesn't count. And what does this do? It will set, it will anchor your circadian rhythm. Oh. I mean, it, it makes it sense. It makes yeah. sense because like I notice that when I'm on a schedule, like even my eating schedule, I'm very much schedule oriented. And and every day, like I wake up at the exact same time every day, I eat at the exact same time. I basically eat the same thing every day, a little bit of a variety. Um, but it makes sense. I think that probably a majority of the population, bedtimes vary and sometimes drastically. Yeah. It could be like yeah. a really late night, a couple really late nights to... They do, but they shouldn't. And also sure. you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't have these overhead lights on, right? We've got to begin to prime the body for bedtime. There shouldn't be overhead lights. Mm -hmm. Everything should be dim. When the sun goes down, eating stops. So a lot of people, and this was a recommendation that I had given all the athletes and all the warfighters and anyone that I work with, I would always say, okay, no problem. You can fast till 11 a.m. That's actually not recommended. In the in the literature, I'm starting to see evidence that upon waking, within an hour of waking, is when you should probably start feeding. Mm -hmm. And what does this do? Well, again, this there's this circadian rhythm that exists that we are so far removed from. Like right now, I'm sitting in my studio. I've got lights over here, lights up overhead, and it's a cloudy day probably shouldn't have a bunch of lights on. Mm -hmm. I should begin to, if, you know, in an ideal world, begin to match my outside environment with the internal environment. Mm. Okay. This might be a hard question then. What about, what about the people who, and I'm saying this because my mom just flew to Alaska. So what, and my brother lives in Alaska. So how does that vary between like it, people in, in the world and where we're Great at question. with our climate? Great question. Uh, don't live in Alaska. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, guys. Just kidding. Everybody um, move. Right. I, I think it's a, I think it's tricky. I, I think it really is tricky, especially if we are thinking about how do we align our circadian biology? I will tell you this, um, shift workers, people that stay up and work overnight mm -hmm. have a higher incidence of cancer, have a higher incidence of death, have a higher rates of obesity, uh, metabolic dysregulation, elevated levels of glucose, all the things that we believe are markers of health, mm -hmm. they're completely dysregulated. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> we see that in shift workers. It's, mm -hmm. It is a risk. Mm -hmm. So anyway, going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, getting outside, a good night's sleep starts first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. with light in your eyes, critical. Eating at the same time, also critical. What, what, what would be your suggestion then to these people who, who do have, who are listening to this and they're like, oh, well I do, you know, and and this is like a new discovery things like, especially that you're just starting to like tap into and, and to discover, um, what would you recommend to those people who already have like a, and they're listening to this and they're like, well, I want to kind of get my, my, you know, everything back and going. And what would you suggest? Light boxes. What's a light box? Light box. Um, so there are lights that would, uh, be a similar, a similar simulate outside light. Mm. So a Viralux light, something that actually, uh, the body perceives as sunlight. You can order on on Amazon. So it's three bucks, 30, 30 bucks. So it's really just getting that outside light and getting all of these other, uh, the lights, you know, the, the man-made lights out, but really just using matching whatever it is outside. Yeah. And it seems like it would be, it would make sense and be Uh intuitive, but it's not because we live in a, we live in, um, not only a very toxic food environment, but we do live in a very toxic, um, light and stimulus environment that we're not designed for. We're actually not designed for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of health issues come from that as well. Mm -hmm. It's not just the food um, and the training, although that is the the pinnacle of it. Sure. But the other things that are layered on are are issues. Yeah. What would you say um, would be... um, I'm sorry, I forgot where I was going. Um... Sorry, Dr. Gabriel. Someone needs a good night's sleep. No, Scott came home at like 2 a.m. last night. I hadn't seen him since like, I've only seen him like three days this year. And so he came home at like 2 a.m. last night. So you're so lucky you're like not in this. Like, it's. I'm glad I'm done with it. Yeah. I'm glad that, that he's home. Oh, yeah. Um, I had another really great question. Uh, These are great questions. You're great, by the way. You're oh yeah, okay, I got it. It's gonna find us annoying, but you are a great interviewer. Oh okay, I have my question. Okay, um, so I have done a lot of extreme diets. I've done paleo. I've done keto. I've never done anything vegan or vegetarian. I'm just not interested in that. But in your profession, um, and you're a professional at, at what you do, is there any diet that somebody would come to you that you would be like, oh, that's too extreme? Are you very much like? you know, you had like the protein carbohydrates, the, can you talk about that and, and kind of like your outlook on, on the diets and especially these fads that happen, right? Like people just get stuck in these fads and they want these quick results. I kind of want to cover that a little bit. Yeah. There it's so fascinating. The human body is incredibly adaptable. It can adapt to nearly any kind of diet that you feed it. And the real magic comes from when someone actually is able to figure out what works best for them. Mm. But people can do well on a vegetarian diet. People can do well on a paleo or carnivore diet, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. because the human body and the human microbiome, it's incredible. And in fact, we don't even know all the things that it can do, but eventually we will see. I have never turned someone away because of their extreme relationship to food other than severe eating disorders, mm. right? That requires its own uh, care team. But in terms of, you know, I've seen it, people cycle through all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the people that do the best are those that 
um, I don't want to say have more flexible ways of eating, but are really on top of when they're going to go off their, their nutrition plan. Mm. They're structured and tight, and then they plan for things. They are not, oh, well, this looks good. I'm going to have this. Mm-hmm. Those you know, the most successful people in terms of diet and nutrition are those that have consistency and plan for their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. How important to you, um, in your opinion, is nutrition timing? Like if, if somebody is wanting to put on muscle, um, it, do you think like the protein timing and, and pri- like pre-training, post-training, how important is that? I don't think it's important. You don't? I don't think it's important. I think that the ath- the athletic the athletic individual, mm-hmm. um, as long as their total protein intake is adequate, I don't think it's important. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone is 60, I think protein timing is critical. But I think it's less critical the younger an individual is, the more well-trained the athlete is, and the more that their total protein intake is adequate. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean... Then the next question is, well, if someone is going to train, why wait, right? Right. Post protein, pro- post carbohydrates. You kind of want to eat right away. Yeah. You usually like, like want to re- refeed your body. It's important. Yeah. Why yeah. wait? Yeah. Just because the science says that you could, why would you? Right. Get and I, right I think away. that that's where I think that that's where the interface between um, what is practical application and then what does the science say. I think are, are two separate things. Yeah, sure. Well, what type of coaching do you provide to your clients? Yeah. If somebody's listening to this and like, oh, I want Dr. Lyon to, to coach me and well, like what services do you, do you offer and how can people find you? Yeah. I, um, so I had, they can go to my website, drgabriellelyon.com and we have a, I have a concierge medical practice. I have myself. Um, and then I have another physician who actually uh, recently transitioned out of the mil- military. He was uh, special forces side of the house. So army, we don't hold it against him. Um, <laughs> but we, you know, we uh, have other providers and mm-hmm. I have a PA that works in the practice and we have a nutritionist. Um, yes. So people can go and check that out. And that's a uh, one way in which they can connect. Awesome. And then your podcast is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Yes. Yes. And then we have your book. This is it. Is this your first Forever book? Strong. This is my first book. Oh my gosh. Dude, huge congratulations. Thank you. On pre It's coming out in October. Yep. Are and you going to do I, book signings? I am. You I am. This is, this is a whole project. Wow. And then I recently did a TED talk, which should be out any day now. That is amazing. Congrats. Can talk, you share yeah. what you uh, talked about? Can you give any yeah, little insight? I, Totally. I said, we don't have an obesity epidemic. What we have is a midlife muscle crisis. I love and that it. everything that we've uh, been hearing about obesity, we've gotten wrong. So you, so you think like kind of just talking about that for a second, you think if we just basically change the narrative where we just, we encourage the higher protein, like you're doing, yeah. you're saying the, the, this, uh, you know, obesity epidemic is going to go away. If we just basically obesity- change our mindset and start prioritizing protein. So here's what I think. I think that obesity is a symptom of unhealthy muscle that begins decades earlier. Mm-hmm. Whether you are a kid who's who's sitting on video games and not running around like your sons, I think that obesity that we're seeing now begins in, these are diseases of skeletal muscle decades mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. And I think that the narrative is focusing on a symptom. Sure. 
of unhealthy muscle and we're trying to fix the symptom and everybody continues to do the same thing over and over again and they wonder why nothing is getting better instead of questioning the paradigm of thinking mm. people just continue to do the same thing let's talk about genetics is, let's talk about genetics really quick how much do you think genetics play, play you know we talk about like obesity um, very little very little very little hmm. i mean for some people it probably plays a bigger role than others but for most people yeah it is probably something else. Do, do you think that a lot of people like to use that as an excuse? I think like that I have bad genetics. So what's the point? Or like, you know, like my mom and dad were unhealthy and overweight. You know, like what's yeah. the point? Because it's in my genetics. I can never be fit. I what I believe is that the mindset of our society has to change. Yeah. I believe that we see diseases that we consider diseases of aging, diseases of obesity. And that's not to say that some people don't really struggle. For sure, this is true. I do think that we have to shift the perspective to something that is much more empowering mm -hmm. and action oriented. So what are the steps that we can do that we can that we can execute and that we know that work and we know that have effectiveness? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there is a personal responsibility to explore those options. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This, wow. is, this is fascinating. Easy. So what, um, what all do you have, you know, in the works right now? We have a book coming out in October. We already covered that, but what else, what else is yeah, coming so out Yeah, so I have books. So, um, I'm launching some challenges, different okay. types of educational and group coaching to educate people. We have a, uh, it's called Sleep Strong. Some of these things that we're talking about, a Sleep Strong book coming out. We're probably going to do um, a collaborative group coaching on some of these things. Um, yeah. So awesome. that is it. So the practice, concierge, group, book, TED, podcast. Um, yeah. Amazing. I cannot wait to watch your TED Talk. I bet you uh, crushed I just, it. So I talked to our mutual friend, Emily. Uh -huh. I can't watch it. She's got to watch it for me. <laughs> I was like, Emily, tell Dude, me this yes, stuff. You gotta watch, watch it. First. I can't watch it right now. Oh, that I is told her she's gotta watch so, it. I cannot watch it. That is so, so, so amazing. Hey, huge congratulations to everything that you have going on. Uh, it's really an honor to call you a friend, uh, but definitely a mentor of mine to uh, just really learn and, and deep dive into all of this. It's really fascinating your outlook and how you're just changing the overall perspective of of just the importance of protein and overall health and longevity in life. So. Thank Pretty you, cool. my friend. That yes. is the goal. Yeah, that, that is, is the, the goal. goal. Awesome. Well, so uh, like always, it's always good to see you on here. And thank you again for coming on the Reborn Podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, bye. What would you decide when it's on the line? Would just do or die? Would you compromise? Or would you stand through the storm and roll with the tide? Would you be the one to fight or the one to hide? You can never touch the sky, don't try to fly. Rocky roads, but we stayed unshakable. Been through it all and we still unbreakable.